From Yahoo Finance, this is Electionomics. I'm Rick Newman. And I'm Alexis Christophorus. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Electionomics. Boy, 2020 has been an extraordinary year, right? No matter how you slice it, on so many levels, it's been extraordinary. We've had the pandemic, a deep recession, a rip-roaring stock market, and now, of course, civil unrest in our country. But let's not forget the table has been set for what many believe will be a pretty contentious presidential election come November. Joining us on this edition of Electionomics to map out what could go wrong in the battle for the White House is Lou Jacobson. He is senior correspondent at PolitiFact and columnist for the Cook Political Report. Lou, it is so great to have you here. There's a lot to dig into. Um, there is. A of different scenarios, you know, starting to bubble up to the surface here, each with their own unique set of legal and constitutional uh, landmines, of course. But before we jump into that, Lou, is all of this predicated on it being a very close election between President Trump and Joe Biden? Uh, yes. I mean, what I'll be talking about today, the sort of scary scenarios of ballot counting and, and the uncertainty, um, would be greatly uh, eased if there's a large margin between the two candidates. I'm not saying it would be totally gone, but um, there's an old saying that the election administrator's um, friend is a wide margin of victory uh, because some of the you know inevitable uh, T's that don't get crossed and I's that don't get dotted uh, kind of fade into the background if somebody easily wins. If it's really close, all those things come into play. Um, and the two sides uh, can get um, very, very heated uh, about that. So, Lou, you did this uh, uh, column for the Cook Political Report, which uh, grabbed my attention immediately and I think gives some Democrats heart attacks. <laughs> um, a lot of the so these are um, problematic scenarios in a close election, and a lot of them have to do with mail in voting, right? And yep. the possibility that we uh, and, and we're not talking about fraud. I don't think that right. I don't think you even right. outlined that, but it's yep. that we might not actually have, first of all, have the ballots in time or it, right. it, on election day. Uh, and then um, there might be some questions about wh whether to count them after the fact. So why don't you just discuss the um, role of mail-in voting here? Definitely. I mean, that's the big variable um, that was thrown into the mix because of the coronavirus. You have um, a situation where you know election administrators are very familiar with how they've always run elections, um, often uh, uh, you know heavy voting in person at the polls uh, on the day of the election or prior to, to the day of the election, early voting. Um, but this year, because of concerns over safety and health, um, a lot of states uh, have felt compelled, and certainly understandably, uh, to kind of rely more heavily on the mail voting. Um, so you've got a situation where, I mean, th this only emerged a couple months ago as like, you know, a possibility that they uh, have to do this. Um, and so they don't have a lot of experience doing it. These are new systems that they're not familiar with uh, doing in a lot of places. Of course, there are some states that are very familiar with mail balloting. California has done a lot of it, Oregon, Washington, Utah, uh, and also Hawaii um, uh, have uh, a very heavy reliance on uh, on the mail balloting, so I'm not concerned about those states. But uh, you know, this just upsets the uh, tried and true way of doing things, and it leaves open, uh, you know, more uh, risk for error. Uh, even though, in a lot of ways, it makes sense to do it because people um, could be uh, ha having to vote in the middle of a serious pandemic wave this this fall. Um, so, so yeah. In addition to all the other the, the hyper partisanship. 
um, and the norm breaking um, uh, that has been going on for the past couple of years, uh, throwing in the mail balloting is one more variable which which sort of makes things challenging for. for so, so one of your yeah. scenarios is a close race uh, in which some of the mail ballots are still out uh, as of election day, and we don't actually know who won this. This would be a swing state, uh, but we mm -hmm. don't actually know who won the swing state. It becomes contingent on mail-in ballots that might show up late, right? Right. So, so there are really kind of two questions here. One is were the mail ballots sent out in time for people to vote? And then there's the secondary question, which is once once the ballots are out and voted upon, um, can they all be counted in a reasonable amount of time after election day, depending on what the rules are in a given state? So, so on the first question, we, we actually have a little bit of experience now with that. Uh, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, um, there were some voters who didn't get their ballots in time uh, for, the, for the primary. Now, of course, it's a primary. Uh, I don't know if there are any really close elections which could be uh, you know, affected by this, um, but it's a real reminder that uh, uh, the sort of mechanics of just getting the ballots out to people is a challenge. Um, and if it doesn't happen, I mean, what, what are you going to do? Disenfranchise thousands or tens or tens of thousands of people? Um, uh, and if so, you know, if not, if you give them some flexibility. Uh, if you have them um, fill out, there, there's actually a federal, um, uh, a, a, a federal ballot which can be used uh, for absentee voting, usually by service members overseas. Um, could a court say, well, you know, you, you guys didn't didn't get your ballots in time? Fill out one of those at your and then drop it off at your nearest polling place or whatever, and do that. Um, so uh, the dry run in a lot of these states has not been. Um, uh, looking too great. It doesn't mean that it can't be fixed by sometime in November, but uh, it does uh, definitely raise eyebrows about some, some of the challenges going forward. You know, Lou, I think we can all agree we're sort of living in a heightened, polarized time. You said it in the uh, Cook Political Report story that, you know, this is a hyper partisanship is how you put it. I like that. Yeah. Um, so what if, what happens if both candidates claim victory here? You know, is yeah. it, can you look back in history at a time where something like that happened and, and, you know, how does it play out? I mean, we've never had anything that that dramatic in the past. We have had, you know, the 1876 election was disputed, um, and we can talk a little bit about, about that later. Um, <clears throat> but, I mean, one of the really um, striking scenarios that uh, folks who are experts talk to me about, let's say you've got the state of Michigan. Uh, now, the polls are showing Biden's ahead by a decent amount right now. But if that's uh, to the extent that it was in 2016, which could happen, um, you could have <clears throat> some of the more rural counties, more Trump supporting counties, um, uh, getting their ballots in fairly early because they're, they're, they're like maybe not relying as heavily on, on the mail-in ballots. Um, and some of the urban uh, centers, which are more Democratic, counting um, late into the night, um, may, maybe have rules that they can count ballots that are postmarked by the date. Who, who knows? So what what you have is a situation where it might look on the night of the election that Trump is winning Michigan because of just which uh, are the counties that have sent, sent their ballots in. And then uh, as Democratic locations in that state are counted, uh, uh, you know, Biden comes closer and closer and then overtakes Trump. If uh, Trump can say, hey, look, you should have stopped counting the ballots, you know, it's over when, when he, he was still uh, in first place, 
um, you could have a situation where the state's governor, who's a Democrat, and the state's attorney general is, and the secretary of state are also Democrats, um, certifying the election for Joe Biden, but the state's Republican legislature um, saying, we're, we're not going to abide by that. We're, we're going to have our own slate of electoral college uh, delegates. Um, and so you could have a situation where there are two uh, competing, one Trump, Trump and one Biden slate of uh, uh, delegates to the Electoral College. Um, and then what happens at that point? Um, <clears throat> well, um, the um, Congress is the one who is delegated with counting and basically determining that. And actually, back to 2000, co Congress had to kind of figure out what was going on in Florida. Um, uh, there's a very obscure, I'd never heard of it, uh, act called the Election, um, the Electoral Count Act from 1887, um, which governs how Congress uh, deals, deals with that situation. Um, what's particularly dicey right now, it'd be one thing if uh, the, the Congress were in the hands of one party, but right now the Senate is in the GOP hands and the, and the U.S. House is in the Democrats' hands. Um, now that could change because it is the new Congress which deals with this. So the Democrats could take over the Senate and it wouldn't be such a problem. But right now, if things are status quo, you could have the GOP Senate, which was united except for Mitt Romney in defending the president impeachment, taking a similar approach to, to, to the one uh, question of, um, uh, uh, of this, the state of Michigan's electoral votes and the House uh, uh, supporting Joe Biden. Now, would this matter if it's a landslide? No, it wouldn't matter because if uh, Joe Biden or, or Donald Trump, for that matter, has a a, a, a big enough lead in, in electoral college voting, it's not not a problem. But if this is the the like deciding state as it was in 2000 with Florida, then you got some real challenges. Um, uh, so Lou, let me let me let yeah. me ask you mentioned Florida. I mean, yeah. that was, the the Supreme Court decided that, right? Right, so right. What, and so, so what's, what's the difference between when Congress has to decide it and when it goes to, to the courts and ultimately to the yeah. Supreme Court? Well, I mean, it probably would go to the courts. Now, the courts may, may not want to step in. Um, it is pretty clear uh, that, the, um, that the right of Congress is that it uh, you know, alone decides which of electoral slates are the ones that should be counted. Um, so the, the, the court may, may just say, okay, Congress, you, you choose. Um, well, on that, on that point, let, the, uh, yeah. there's another obvious question. Which Congress? Is it the old yes. one or the new one? It's actually the new one. It's so the, in, so, so yeah. probably, um, there probably would not be a dispute about the outcome of, and we're really just talking about the Senate here, of yeah. any given Senate race uh, that would determine the balance of power in the Senate, right? Like we would... I mean, you could have... Yeah, I mean, I hadn't even uh, thought about that or wrote about that, but uh, yes, in... It's uh, theoretically possible that there could be a very close Senate race. That's the like deciding vote um, uh, in terms of the majority of the Senate, uh, and that itself could be. Uh, uh, and there is precedent for this. Um, the Senate race with Norm Coleman and Al Franken a number of years ago. I mean, that seat was not filled until I think June or so, uh, because there was a recount and legal challenges and so forth. Um, so that's a whole nother layer, because the 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 Senate. Uh, uh, currently, the balance of power is quite narrow. You certainly could see a situation where it does hinge on one Senate race, and then 
uh, you know, do you solve that before you solve the presidential race? And it does start getting crazy pretty fast. Hey, Lou, I guess one of the scenarios you put forth in this Cook political report is one that's hard to really, you know, wrap your arms around, which is an unforeseen natural disaster happening, either sure. on election day or close to election day. Again, yep. I'm going to ask you to be a, wear your historian hat for a moment. You know, is there a time where that's happened before and 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 what happened in that instance? Yeah, I mean, um, there uh, these have tended to be to, to, to the extent that there have been any weather problems, um, I think Superstorm Sta uh, Sandy a couple of years ago mm -hmm. came election day, and there was some, uh, uh, I believe, some effort to to let people vote um, uh, either by phone or so, or through 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 kind of delayed ballots because of that. Um, but that said, uh, um, there is the potential for a sort of devastating hurricane. Um, it will still be hurricane season. Florida is a key state. Um, the the the, uh, uh, the question here is, um, if the hurricane just by chance happens to hit all Democratic areas or all Republican areas or largely so, um, uh, is the turnout um, so uh, diminished that it really affects the uh, the uh, sort of balance of the votes? Um, and should courts step in? I think most people would probably agree that like, if it were such a massive thing that like, you know, 5% of the typical number of people voted, that there might, might have to be some sort of either extension of voting or, or something like that. Um, but uh, if it's more of a question of, uh, you know, uh, certain uh, strongly GOP areas didn't get a chance to vote because of the, of the storms, um, then um, do you allow them extra time? Um, there's good arguments on both sides, uh, you know, on the principle that like people's, you know, right to vote should be sacred. Um, on the other hand, changing the rules in the middle of the election is also a problem. So um, that is probably something the courts would would be asked to step in on and probably would step in on, I think. Um, uh, but um, so, something that large um, has never happened really before, as, as far as I'm, I'm uh, aware of. Hey, Lou, uh, this is a, let me ask this question. A lot of people have been raising this. Let's say President Trump loses in a close race, uh, but he claims fraud somewhere and he doesn't concede and he doesn't leave. Mm -hmm. um, how does that get resolved? It's a it's a great question, um, uh, um, and and that's probably the biggest unresolved question of the ones that I've looked at, just because it's so unprecedented. There's been such a normal transition from one president to, to the next for over two hundred years. Um, uh, uh, so it's a little technical. Um, if both the Senate and the House kind of um, agree to disagree. Um, um, about who 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 the president is, and kind of agree that there's a vacancy. Um, they sort of can't decide. Um, there is a statute in place about presidential succession, and basically the the Speaker of the House would become the acting president until the situation is resolved. Now, the, the 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 Speaker would have to step down from Congress to do that, so it's not like without cost. Um, and then if they don't do that, then the, uh, the uh, Senate president pro tem would do it. <clears throat> and then it's a series of people um, who are heads of, uh, of the departments. Um, so that means Nancy Pelosi so would, in theory, by the way, be is, next in line. Is that the um, old Speaker of the House? The Speaker of the prior House? Or the the newly the voted Speaker, yeah. Newly so, voted. I mean, presumably it would be Pelosi 
she is uh, cho chose chosen again. I would think most people think she will be, uh, but yes, it would be her as of now and probably going forward. So, just to take that one step further, um, what if President Trump just physically refuses to leave the White House? I mean, that's I a great question. It sounds fantastical, but look, I mean, there. Uh, are it's a great question, and one that is, uh, by the experts that I've been talking to, is really unresolved. Uh, you know, would, would they have to? send in federal marshals to physically remove him i you know i just don't know no no one knows um who would the military give the nuclear codes to um uh you know on noon on january 20th um uh and um congress could also make things worse um if they didn't agree that there was a vacancy if the gop senate for instance um said no definitely trump won and the democratic house said that no definitely joe, joe biden won and they don't back down um, uh, then there's no vacancy. And so there's no uh, sort of backup plan. Um, and uh, who knows who would be the president? I mean, you know, as, as the incumbent, Trump would still li literally be in the White House if he chooses to do so, um, but he wouldn't have the powers of president. And that would be kind of chaos. You know, guys, I don't know, when you think about the kind of year we're having, right? I mean, I started this podcast off by ticking off all the sort of incredible things right. that have happened, Never mind them all happening in one year. Anything is possible. But we sort of touched on this earlier, but you know, the, the hanging Chad controversy of the November uh, of the 2000 election between Bush and Gore, what yeah. do you think would sort of be the equivalent of a hanging Chad in the 2020 presidential election? Well, I mean, uh, it really could, could be any of these. I think that, that, that like probably the uh, giving different um, uh, slates of delegates to, to electoral college would probably be the closest one. Um, uh, I, certainly there, there are also other issues, just, just like with the hanging chads, you know, various ballot counting issues, you know, should, should ballots be, be counted if they were postmarked on the date or not, if there's no postmark, you know, all kinds of technical issues like that. But I, um, could, could foresee, uh, that a really motivated legislature was, that like differed from the governor in terms of who they supported in the presidential election. Uh, it would be within their power to do this. Now, would they, would, you know, public pressure um, be sufficient to stop them from doing this? Probably not. Uh, or maybe, you know, I just don't know. Um, um, so, yeah. Uh, and I should say, like, you know, obviously, uh, you know, when I wrote this, this uh, column, I kind of framed it as, you know, political insiders, political uh, sort, of, sort of obsessives always like to talk about, you know, um, I call them uh, scary campfire stories, you know, things that could go wrong. Uh, what would happen if Congress had to step in on this or whatever in the presidential election? And, you know, it hasn't happened in the past. And, and I want to emphasize that, like, you know, none of this is, you know, destined to happen. Um, but the various factors from the mail balloting to, to, to the increasing part partisanship to the breaking of norms makes it more likely than it has in the past, but it's certainly not a guarantee. And the the most successful guarantee against this would be a big victory for for uh, Joe, Joe Joe Biden, or for that matter, for Donald Trump. I have a, a kind of a different question. Um, I this will be a little bit morbid. I apologize in advance. But since <laughs> we have two candidates in their seventies, um, yeah. wondering what happens if one of them dies at some point in the process. So. Um, let's say uh, Joe Biden is not officially nominated yet, but once he's officially nominated and he has a running mate, right. what happens if he dies or President Trump, for that matter, who becomes the candidate? 
Right. And then what happens if a if a winner dies between election day and inauguration day? Yeah, no, those those are great questions, and I know that there are answers to them, and I think I can probably give some guidance, but but I haven't specifically studied this recently. So um, prior uh, to, to to the voting. Um, it's really up to the party to, to, to determine its nominee. So let's say Joe, Joe, Joe Biden were to pass away, presumably his vice president would be anointed um, as the presidential candidate by the party and then would choose their own vice president. Um, uh, that's basically a party question. Now there may, 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 may be some, some, uh, uh, some complications depending on how late it is in the cycle before the election in terms of like, Whose name goes on the ballot? If it's Lee name on the ballot, but et cetera. But um, that's 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 fairly clear. Then after the uh, vote is taken and the winner is announced, if they die, then it would become, I would assume, the vice president because they've they've actually been voted upon by the nation. Um, and then there is in the Constitution one of the amendments is about naming a new vice president. That has to be, uh, I think, confirmed by the Senate and the House. Uh, and that's how uh, Rockefeller, after Agnew stepped down, became uh, vice president. Um, or no, uh, uh, sorry, after Ford became, Ford, Ford actually was nominated in, in that fashion. And then he, I think, nominated his own vice president in that way as well. So yes, so there is a way to do that. There could be some complications, um, but there are systems in place to kind of figure that out. Based on everything you're reading, do you have a guess for um, who's going to win, how this election is going to go? So yeah, actually, one of the things that I do, I I I, I do handicapping of um, of a lot of state offices, including governor and also the electoral college. And I'm right now in the middle of doing my update, first update since uh, since the fall. Um, and uh, um, I think I'm going to shift it um, a little bit towards the Democrats. Um, I look at it on a state-by-state -state basis, and I basically rank all the states from the most likely to go GOP to, to the most likely to go Democratic. Um, and uh, in my previous rankings, neither of the two candidates um, had uh, a majority of states leaning likely or safe in their direction. Uh, the, the, the six toss-up states kind of determined the winner. Um, I'm uh, expecting to um, shake that up a little bit and move that a little bit in the, in the Democrats' direction. Um, but still, I think I'll probably have about five states in the toss-up category. Um, and in those five states, um, Joe Biden's uh, poll numbers, at least, and the sense that I'm getting from my experts that I talk to in the state, uh, su suggest that Biden is doing better in all of those states. What um, are those states, Lou? Well, so the six I had uh, in my previous were, uh, let's see, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, and North Carolina, um, in no particular order. Um, and uh, um, it's looking like I'm probably going to push Michigan over into the lean Democratic category. Uh, the way things are looking now, please the other five there. Um, but um, I'm I'm sort of being cautious about states like Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, and Arizona. Biden has had consistent sort of low to mid single digit leads in each of those states which means that Biden is in a better position than he was six months ago. Uh, I'm not quite ready to say lean Democratic, um, but uh, it does look better um, state by state for, for Joe Biden than it did a few months ago. And certainly the national polls, if you look at the um, at, at just the popular vote, uh, he's um, been up seven points or so fa fa fairly consistently in the better quality polls. So thing, um, 
and of course things could change uh this is a particularly low point for 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 the president because of the coronavirus uh situation um and the uh and the racial justice issues um uh so that could uh you know, ease his position um going forward if he can somehow improve but biden is definitely in a better position than he was six months ago well, you are right, though. Five months in, in politics uh, speak is a lifetime, right? So Lou Jacobson, Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> Lou Jacobson, senior correspondent at PolitiFact and columnist for the Cook Political Report. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us for this edition of Electionomics. Be sure to follow me at Alexis TV News. And me at Rick J. Newman. And Lou, would you like to put a Twitter handle out there? Yes, it is at Lou Jacobson. Uh, so it's at sign, L-O-U-J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N. You heard it here first. All right, folks, be sure to rate and review what you just heard, and we will see you next time. Thanks very much.